Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. We're sort of, sort of today, we are wrapping up a uh, series which sort of sprung out of another series. We've called this series within a series, um, Investing in the Future. And I'll sort of wrap this up today and uh, say again a little bit in the, in the message about, uh, about our offerings, about our tithes. So let me just warn you, when this sermon is over, you are going to want to have given generously into the offering. So give generously into the offering so you feel good at the end of this ser- sermon rather than guilty. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to go. I'm not hammering anybody today. Uh, but this is, this, is, uh, this is part of our reasonable service as believers, is to honor him with our finances, honor him with our resources. And we should celebrate the opportunity to do this. And I know you do. I know this is a giving church. This is a generous church. This is a church that takes sowing and reaping seriously. God bless you as you uh, continue to obey uh, Christ in that regard. Are you ready to give this morning? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your presence in this place and the opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you now as always for the opportunity to give into the work of your kingdom. We thank you for the superb ministries you have allowed us to partner with and the impact that we, through them, are having all over the world. And we thank you for Living Word Family Church, which we declare. And thank you for the fact that it is good ground. And we give, Lord, we give obediently because we see your clear instruction in the word to give. And we give cheerfully because we know you love a cheerful giver. And we give cheerfully because we know you have blessed us abundantly. And we give expectantly, Lord, knowing that you have attached very specific promises to our obedience with the tithe and the offering. And we expect that as we give, it will be given unto us a good measure, shaken down, shaken together, pressed down and running over. And we receive that by faith, Father, so that we can give again in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give. Okay. Uh, Two weeks ago, I warned you that last week I would be preaching a difficult word. And the great news is that most of you came back to hear it last week. A little bit of a thin crowd today. I don't know. It was, uh, it was really, in, two weeks ago we had a, a really good attendance, which uh, for the middle of summer is always exciting because of all the traveling and vacations. And I don't know if there's people traveling still today or have began traveling today or what. But uh, I figured if we were going to have a thin crowd, it would have been last week because of the, I tried to, almost tried to scare you away from coming. But everybody came anyway. Uh, not only that, several of you responded um, to the invitation to surrender your lives to the Lord or to recommit to your earlier surrender to Jesus Christ. And for that, I thank God. It was wonderful, wonderful response to the message and also received an extraordinarily uh, amount, an extraordinary amount of really good feedback, positive feedback from the message, many of you thanking me uh, for preaching it. Um, and uh, I guess for that, I want to say thank you. Thank God for your response uh, to, to uh, surrender to Christ, and thank you for your kind words and the, the encouragement. I want to kind of wrap up this series again 
And then Tony Cook will be here next week, and then we'll see where the Lord wants to take us next. I have a little bit of an idea, but I'm not going to say it until it's more of a, until it's a bigger idea. But remember, we started by looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, and how Paul came to Corinth presenting the gospel, presenting Christ crucified, knowing that without the new birth, without the spiritual transformation they needed to become spiritual people, he couldn't share spiritual truth with them. He had spiritual truth, deeper stuff, the meat of the message, but he couldn't share it with them because they weren't spiritual yet. And then goes on uh, for, uh, to chastise them for not growing up. That even once they received the gospel, they remained carnally minded. And he warned them to build on the foundation of Christ with works that are going to last. And this was kind of what we focused on last week. And, and we'll look at it a little more this week. That It's not just enough to say, I received Jesus and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. It's what are you building on? That's the foundation. And we build on that with our lives, with our works, with our time, our resources, our talents. We build on that foundation. And uh, he says, and there are some works that represent uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. Some uh, are nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. And the day, on the day, it will be tried by fire. It will be proved by fire, shown by fire. What remains is the gold, the silver, the precious stones what is of eternal value represents our reward. Now, if we've built on that foundation with nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, all that remains is the foundation. And, and as Paul writes, uh, you yourself will be saved. Any man who builds on this with wood, hay, and stubble, uh, he himself will be saved, though as through fire. And we looked and we talked last week about how it might be just like standing before your house. You've just lost everything. You survived but you've lost everything. But, uh, well, I contrast that with what Peter, writing in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, was talking about making our call and election sure by adding virtue to, virtue to our faith, knowledge to our virtue, self-control to our knowledge, etc. Why? So that, what? An abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be provided for us. This is what we need to be aiming for, an abundant entrance into the kingdom. And that was all two weeks ago. Last week, uh, though, we looked at, at some of the words of Jesus himself and found that some of the parables he taught concerning his return make it look and sound like hell is a real risk for some even who think they are saved. We looked at the parable of the faithful steward and the evil steward uh, who, and the evil steward said, oh, my master isn't coming back. And so he starts to beat the other servants and uh, uh, live, living only as he pleases. And what's going to happen when that master comes back? That servant, it says, will be warned and then very quietly escorted into heaven. That's not what it says. It says he'll be cut in half and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the parable of the ten virgins, or the bridesmaids, only half of them continued to look for his coming and, and eagerly anticipate his coming. The other, uh, the other five, this is represented by the oil in their lamps, and uh, they, were, uh, they ignored it. And when the bridegroom came back, five of them weren't ready, and so they went to buy oil while the five who were ready were ushered in to the wedding 
But what happened? The door was closed. And those five who let their oil run out were not allowed in. They were shut out. And finally, the parable of the talents. And these were all back to back in Matthew. The parable of the talents where the unprofitable servant, when the master returned to give an account, uh, to get an accounting of everything he had given these servants, the unprofitable servant was cast into outer darkness where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth. And what was this servant guilty of? Being unprofitable. Doesn't say he was beating anybody. Doesn't say he was robbing, lying, stealing, cheating, nothing. He just wasn't doing anything. So we ended up talking about faith and works and pretty much came to the conclusion that we are saved by grace through faith, not faith plus works, but that true living faith, biblical faith, absolutely includes works. Go back and listen to it. This is all review. And today I want to look at what we can do specifically to secure a reward, an abundant entrance. Specifically, what are our rewards in heaven? What does it mean to have gold and silver and precious stones? It might be worth a sermon or two after Tony Cook, but there are some amazing descriptions of, uh, descriptions of heaven, of the eternal city. In the, word, in the Word of God, and in one sense, certainly just being there is its own reward. But if we're talking about what our individual rewards are, you know, Jesus talked about making us rulers over many things, and some have interpreted this as being, look, there'll be governmental structure in heaven, and there will be rank in heaven, and part of our reward is going to, uh, is going to be how we are determined where we fit in that hierarchy. That might have more to do, I think, with the thousand-year reign when Jesus returns to this earth and rules and reigns and we rule and reign with him? I don't know. Uh, but I do want to look at just uh, one thing that the Bible makes very clear, and it speaks to the motives of our hearts. And this is a passage that I have read perhaps uh, and preached perhaps more than any other. Certainly it's in the top 10 of uh, topics and passages that I refer to. And Peter writes to the believers in the same vein that Paul writes to the Corinthians here. This is a general epistle. It's written to all believers, whereas Paul was writing to a particular church body. And he's talking, uh, Peter is, in 1 Peter about the transformation that God has already worked in them and how he is not just, he's not just accepting their worship. He has transformed them, made them into something that they weren't before their encounter with Christ. And how they are therefore supposed to be bearing spiritual fruit. And we read this in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can open your Bibles. I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 9. Very familiar passage. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation by his, uh, sorry, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Again, this is about what God had done through the finished work of Christ for them. So, meanwhile, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. This is the passage I was just referring to. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, 
by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. First of all, when it talks about Gentiles there, that's a stand-in word for the unbeliever. Okay, it used to be, you know, the Jews and Gentiles, and the Gentiles were everybody that wasn't a Jew. The, the true Jew, the Jew of God is the believer in Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. All right, so it's the saved and the unsaved, the Christians and non-Christians, the believers and the unbelievers. So uh, having your conduct honorable among the world, among the unbelievers. But when it talks about the day of visitation, I don't think, and this is something I mention every time, and if I'm wrong about it, ultimately... You know, it's, it's not, it's not a, 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 a faith-deciding issue, but it just makes more sense. The day of visitation, uh, I believe, means their day of visitation. I don't think this is necessarily talking about the physical return of Jesus Christ or the day of judgment, but the day when they come face-to-face -face with the truth of the gospel and have to decide, am I going to submit to this? Am I going to surrender my life to Christ? I don't have these statistics in front of me, but we've talked about them before, how there's almost a mathematical formula, and it might be different for every person, but we have to hear the gospel a certain number of times before it registers as truth to us. And once we recognize that, once that, I believe that's our day of visitation. I get it now. Now what am I going to do with it? Am I going to submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or am I going to reject it? And that's what's going to determine my eternal destiny. And what Peter's saying in here, and it's, it's a huge burden. It's not one that we can't bear through the strength of the Holy Spirit. But he's saying, you keep your behavior excellent among these unbelievers because there's going to come a day when they are going to realize, I have a choice to make. And it is their observation of how you live your life that is going to tip the scales one way or the other. The way you live has a lot to do with a decision somebody else might make for Jesus Christ. But who are we doing this for? You remember what we read a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 12, how Jesus endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? That's you. That's me. That is by the grace of God, millions and perhaps billions of people who will be saved, who will be in right relationship with God because of the finished work of the cross, through the blood of Christ. And one of the main things we're called to do is conduct ourselves in such a way that we don't cause those who have not yet come to faith to reject him, actually to live in a way that they desire him. So first and foremost, we're doing this for Jesus why? Because it's for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. We want the people that he died for to come to him so that he'll be pleased. Because Jesus loves those Gentiles. He loves those as yet unsaved people more than we can imagine. Secondly, we are doing it, therefore, for those unsaved people. You know, one of the greatest part of the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love your neighbor and not care whether or not he goes to heaven or hell. You can't love your neighbor and not care whether he or she meets the Lord that you have come to know and love. And you cannot kid yourself into thinking that it's more or less okay with God that you don't share your faith as long as you know that you are saved yourself. 
He saved you for a purpose. And you know you are called to be a minister. Whether you're called to be in occupational ministry or not, every believer a minister, right? We did a series on that not too long ago. And look at this. This is James chapter 4. James writes in chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, Come now, you who say, tomorrow, so today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Remember that. Sin is not just doing what you're not supposed to do. It's not doing what you are supposed to do. We make sin all about avoiding certain behavior, but James is saying it's sin to know the right thing to do, know the right way to live, not do that thing, not live that way. That's sin. And I do want to keep this short, so let me begin to cut to the chase here. We're talking about eternal rewards in an everlasting kingdom. Rewards that last forever in a kingdom that lasts forever. I've, I've uh, recommended a couple books over the years that have gotten my imagination stirred up about what heaven might be like. But honestly, uh, here's kind of where I land on that scripturally. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he knew a man. He said, I knew a man 14 years ago. And I don't know whether, uh, whether this happened in a vision or whether it really happened, but he was caught up to the third heaven. He saw paradise and he heard things that it's not even, it wouldn't even be right, wouldn't even be lawful to utter. I can't even repeat what I heard. Now, this is Paul. Uh, and I will take Paul's word on that before I will take any other minister's word on that. Now, I'm not saying nobody has ever had a vision of heaven. I'm not saying that at all. But I have heard many descriptions of heaven. Many of them talk about or focus on, this is what my mansion looked like. This is what the furniture was made of. This is what the yard looked like. Uh, many of them talked about other, uh, other experiences and meeting people and conversations they had. Um, but the physical descriptions of heaven, uh, I don't know, we have physical descriptions of heaven in the Bible where we talk about buildings that are actually made of jewels, streets that are gold, gates made of pearls. And I've often wondered, and you've, most of you have heard me say this, I've often wondered, is this something that, uh, something that uh, John saw, for instance, when he describes this in Revelation, that he couldn't describe I'm looking at something I've never seen before. So let me try. It would be kind of like if, the, if this building was made of, were made of all of these different uh, precious stones and stuff. That's as close as I can come to it in this language. All right? I don't know. I'll say what I, what I always say about heaven. When people say, what's it going to be like? I think it's going to be like this. You think it's going to be like that? I'll say, I don't know if it is. Or I might say, I don't think it is. Here's what I do know. No matter what your idea of heaven, now there's a minister, I will not name him or her, actually, in this case, uh, so I just narrowed it down some, who has some descriptions of heaven, and what it boils down to is this, whatever you think heaven is like, that's what heaven's going to be like. Whatever heaven is to you, that's what heaven's going to be like. That's not biblical. Heaven's a real place. But I will say this. If heaven, when you get there, is not like what you thought it was going to be like, you will not go, 
Oh, man. You'll go, oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right, God. This is a way better heaven than the one I picture. But Paul was excited about something else. In his first letter to the Christians in Thessalonica, he starts by telling them what a joy it is to hear about how enthusiastically they receive his teaching. Do you remember this? He opens it up saying, you received us the word so gladly. And not only that, uh, when we go around these surrounding areas to preach the gospel, we find out that we don't have to say anything because you guys have already been there. They did what hardly anybody else did. You received the word. Uh, you went from milk to meat, and then you took it. You started living the gospel, preaching the gospel, so that we go into what we think we're pioneering new uh, uh, a church work, and we find, oh, no, the, the, the Thessalonians have already been here and told us all that. We're already doing it. And so Paul's just rejoicing, and he goes on to say, I can't wait to see you guys again. We've tried to get there a couple times. We keep getting detoured. However, we read this, and uh, let's just read this out of, uh, uh, this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. We used to, uh, my sisters and I, whenever uh, we had the opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord, we would always kind of joke, say it, we were celebrating, but just kind of say it, you know, tongue in cheek, that's one more jewel in my crown. That's one more jewel in my crown. And I, I still like that because what are we talking about? We're talking about eternal rewards, everlasting rewards in an everlasting kingdom. Now, heaven is made of, of different stuff than earth is. But I know of three things offhand that I can think of that absolutely last forever. It's, and it's not the earth. And it's not the heavens. The Bible tells us that the heavens and the earth will pass away. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So those aren't eternal. And that means all the civilizations, all the museums, all the knowledge that are earthly, that's all going to pass away. So as important as some of those things are right now, they are not eternal rewards. That hospital that was founded, unless it leads somebody to Christ, wood, hay, and stubble. Doesn't mean it's worthless now. That library, that school, that statue, certainly. Read Ozymandias. Look on my works. My name is Ozymandias. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. I built a statue celebrating my achievements, and none of those achievements remain. What lasts forever? Well, God does. God's Word does. We do. God lasts forever, God's Word lasts forever, and people last forever. So what do we do? We share God with other people. We share God's Word with other people. And when we get there, Whatever other, whatever else my reward entails, 
my true crown, my true glory, is every person that is in heaven, at least partly because of my obedience to my calling, my fulfilling my ministry, my keeping my behavior excellent among the Gentiles, my living the gospel and preaching the gospel, and yours. That song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. I'm not going to do the words today. Go back and listen to that. I read a post by a guy who I've known for many, many years. And I believe, I believe deep down he loves the Lord. Uh, and he's a smart guy. Uh, but he's been through, I don't know, I, I would say maybe a rough patch uh, through, with his church. And I'm not slamming him, but I, I get awfully tired because everything he posts of a Christian nature seems like it's just meant to stir the pot. I'm trying to show you I'm smarter than you. I'm trying to show you that uh, I'm just trying. It's like he's just taking everybody on all the time. And he posted something about how, you know, we talk a lot about heaven and hell. Jesus never really talked about heaven. He didn't talk about it. He never once refers to this disembodied state where we go just to be with him. No, he just talks about doing his works here on earth and making things better. And I'm like, that's utter nonsense. Number one, Jesus clearly, clearly did talk about heaven and hell. He probably had more to, hell, more to say about hell than anybody in the Bible. But he, he talked about heaven too. What did he say to his disciples? In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. He's talking about someplace else, some other time. But more importantly, what are you going to do? Ignore the whole rest of the Bible? Just because you can't find what you consider a concrete paragraph of Jesus describing heaven? What did Paul say? If we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. He said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In Philippians 1, he says, I have a desire to depart. And what? Be with Christ, which is far better. What lasts? God. God's word and people. If you build a great ministry, or I look at something like Rama. Love Rama. We love Rama. We are a Rama church, not an official Rama affiliate, but this church grew out of, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a result of, of the ministry of Rama, what God did through uh, Brother Hagen and the call he put on Larry Millis's life. Uh, but you look at Rama as an organization, it's worldwide. The number of schools they have and churches they have. Uh, not just Tulsa, but the Hagans and whoever else is at Rama and Rama. It's not about the size of the organization. It's not about name recognition. It's not about how big they are. It's not about how many books. It ultimately boils down to the lives that are saved as a result of everything that ministry does. And that means every minister that came out of Rama. And leads somebody to the Lord. Somehow at one point traces back to Brother Hagen. It also means it traces back to you. If you support Living Word Family Church. Which supports Rama. The Hagens or the authors or anybody else. Not just, I'm not just talking about Rama now. It's not just the books. Ah! What are you standing before Jesus with? I published one million copies of this book. Those books are not going to last forever. But 
if the one million copies that got distributed ultimately led to 10 million people getting delivered, getting freed, becoming ministers, becoming saved, those souls matter. Those souls count. But guess who gets credit for that? The author? I mean, in terms of eternal rewards, yeah. But also the guy who, we're looking back when some of these books were literally hand-stapled in the spine. The guy who ran the stapler has a part in that. The guy who worked in the mailroom, the guy who packaged these things, all of them have a part in those souls. This is the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. Every person that serves in this church in any capacity among what, whatever other blessing it means to anybody else, I'll say this authoritatively, categorically, whatever, you make my job easier. If you relieve me of anything, if you make my job easier and free me to preach the gospel and one person comes to the Lord, you have a part in that. We say this all the time about guest ministers who go all over the world. We, we ought to know that by now, right? And you're going to hear it again next week with Tony Cook. We have a part in all of that. But do you see how connected all this is? There are some people who feel like, I could never teach a Sunday school class. I break out into a cold sweat just having a conversation about Jesus. You need to work on it. You need to get over it. But guess what? Some of you have a God-given gift to make money. And it's so easy for you that you can't understand why everybody else can't do it. Just like some preachers think, this is so easy, I don't understand why you can't do it. Why did God give you that gift? So that you could give more than I can. So that you can give more than anybody else. Well, that's not fair. It absolutely is. We're talking about your eternal reward. What are you doing with God gave you? If you with what God gave you? If you can't identify, well, I can't identify any other gift. I can make millions like that, then start giving those millions away because that's the only way it's going to last. It's the only way to take it with you. That's why your job, whatever it is, your occupation, is holy. This is why, exactly why, we are commanded to do everything we do as unto the Lord. Oh, how can I take out the trash? How can I mop the floors? How can I really do that as unto the Lord? One concrete way is I'm doing this for a paycheck, and I'm doing this for, uh, so that I can advance in this company, do whatever, so that I can continue to give. There's other ways. You can mop that floor as under the Lord by doing it with a smile on your face and changing your mop water a little more often so the floor really gets clean to be a blessing to your employer so that when he sees it, on account of your good deeds and his day of visitation, he glorifies God with the right choice. I'll wrap it up with this, and praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Had a thing, and uh, there was an idea that was very much taught. I mean, this came down from t training and doctrine command, filtered all the way down to basic training and every level of training in the military, where, uh, you know, you, you watch the old, especially the, the World War II movies. It seems like all the great war movies, not all of them, but the bulk of them are about World War II. This was a some people call it the last good war. You know, an absolute noble cause that everybody could get behind, a truly evil, identifiable enemy. 
Uh, and so we all, the whole country went to work to defeat Hitler and Mussolini. And uh, what's his name? Hirohito, Tojo, whoever, whoever the, who was the emperor? Huh? Well, Stalin was on our side in World War II, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, anyway, we, the, 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 yeah, the Axis. And, uh, and so we watched the movies and we had this idea that everybody, that every heroic act was done because for God, flag, and country. When it's it, literal studies and conversations bore out that most of these heroic acts that were done, do you know who these, the, these heroes did them for in, in that moment? For the guy on their right and the guy on their left. Bands of brothers did it for these guys. This is why, this is why they make such a big deal about the buddy system. You never leave your buddy behind. You never abandon your buddy. You do it for your team, your squad, maybe your platoon. It gets company size and more. It's too big. We do it for one another. This is our team. This is our squad. This is our company. We do these things for one another. And yet, what do we, this is where that breaks down. We are also doing it for the great cause. We love what this company stands for, what this church stands for, what we're about. We're doing these things ultimately for God, but doing them for one another, that's not, that's not a conflict. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second one. But then right before he took off, he said, a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another. As I have loved you, you love each other like that. And that was some kind of love, wasn't it? Where we lay down our lives for one another. You know how effective we would be if we were that committed to one another? Stand up with me. We'll maybe end up having to clean up some more stuff along this line because I just, I just see like 10 different paths going out of this, just this little series. But we'll see. We'll see where God takes us. I just, when we start thinking about sin and holiness and behavior, righteousness, good and evil, I don't want us to think about it in terms of here's a list of things I need to avoid so I stay off God's bad list. And here's a list of good things I need to do to get on God's good list. All of these things are done in the context of relationship. We ended our praise and worship session this morning with a song called He Is Here. And a lot of the ambiguity goes away in our day-to-day -day choices, our minute-by-minute -minute choices, when we picture Jesus actually walking beside us. It's one thing to say the Holy Spirit lives in us. And if we cultivate that, cultivate the knowledge of that, and start walking in the Spirit... That will absolutely empower us to make the right choices. We're never going to be free of temptation, not while we're in these bodies. But meanwhile, helps us sometimes to picture Jesus walking beside us rather than just this vague concept of the Holy Spirit living in us. But sometimes even more effective than that is looking around, making sure that we surround ourselves with people who are going to encourage us, hold us accountable. And that, that, that even sounds too clinical. 
man, if I love you, I'm going to call you on doing, doing things that are not going to profit you, not going to profit the kingdom. It's not like, okay, I'm calling you for a weekly accountability check. It's like, hey, man, really think this was a good idea? Think we can do better on this? What can I do to help you do better on this? What can you do to help me? Because I want us all to individually stand before him on our day and walk into an abundant entrance. And meanwhile, I want us to be a church that is profitable for the kingdom. And we serve a God who is about equipping us and walking us through every minute of this. We've got a couple minutes, and I want to have Jenny come up here. Are you still prepared to share something, Jenny? You might think this isn't connected, but I want you to hear this. We're kind of centrist on, on a, a thing or two, I believe. Okay, um, I just have two quick testimonies I want to share with you guys. Um, about a month and a half ago, I started getting these blisters on the back of my legs um, that could have very easily turned into pressure sores because of how much I sit. And if anyone knows anything about pressure sores, they are a nightmare. So we got, um, my mom worked in durable medical equipment for 20 years and she knew how to treat wounds. So we started treating them We'd get one done, another one would pop up. So we called in a wound nurse, and she immediately said, oh, oh my gosh, you need to see a surgeon. There's an abscess under this. And she was so concerned that she made us go get um, a surgery consult that day. We had to drive over to Charleston and get one. Um, and that was a Friday afternoon. By Monday morning, um, well, Friday on the way there, I texted all my normal go-tos. And they started praying with, praying with me. I started speaking over my body. And by Monday morning when she came back, everything was completely clear. There was no abscess, no blisters, Praise nothing. The Lord. She said in 27 years of nursing, she has never seen something like that Say happen. Say that again. In 27 years of nursing, she's never seen something like that happen. And um, we still went to the surgery consult just to get medically cleared. And she said that there's absolutely no need for surgery because there was nothing there. Praise the Lord. And then the next one's really short, but it's about tithing. Um, my battle has been going on for a little over nine years now. And I have easily racked up millions and millions and millions of dollars of hospital bills. And I have not had to pay one penny towards hospital bills. Um, the medical jet I came home on was $150,000. That was free. I got student loans wiped out. I got bills to um, certain hospitals wiped out. I mean, just miraculous things were done. And I take that directly back to being obedient to tithe. So if you are one who is nervous about tithing, you haven't done it yet, I can vouch for the fact like for the blessings you see that come from being obedient to tithing. Amen. Man, thank you. Thank you. A couple reasons I wanted her to share that then. And one is, just as a reminder, when we're talking about this big, heavy stuff, rewards, punishment, 
we're also talking about doing this in the context of a relationship with a Father who loves us and has made promises to us, who tells us himself that he is the God who heals us. He is still concerned with our, our bodies, our interests, our needs, our desires. He wants us to be fulfilled. But ultimately, it's for a purpose. I also wanted you to hear what she said. I called my go-tos to pray. Knew she was facing something serious. She's got faith in God. She knows what the Word of God says. But isn't it a blessing to have those go-tos? Facing something right now, start praying. And to know that they're not going to say, okay, and then hang up. That they are going to be praying. Because the prayer of agreement is powerful. Praise God. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how people live without Jesus. I don't know how they get through the day, get through the week, get through the news uh, without the security that only Christ can offer. I don't know. But maybe you're out there without Jesus right now. And man, it's not just this checking this thing off so that I can go to heaven when I die. I don't know how people get through the week without the church, without their go-tos. I need you guys. You need one another. You need me. We, need, we all need one another. And uh, it's just such a wonderful and comforting thing to have this committed relationship with a local body of believers. And I'm, that's what I'm inviting you into today. I'm inviting you into the family of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you have never personally committed your life to him, surrendered to him, recognize that the death he died on the cross was for you and it was necessary because there was no way to save yourself and you'd like to make that commitment today. If you'd like to just say, yeah, that's me. I need to say, Jesus, maybe I never knew you before. Maybe I've known you were the Lord, but Jesus, be my Lord today and save me. Come into my life, transform me, make me born again, give me that new birth, make me a spiritual person. He sets you on a road, a path of good works, as Paul writes in Ephesians, that will glorify him and ultimately mean something for your reward. If you need to make that decision, I'm going to give you the opportunity here in just a minute. And again, if you'd just like to recommit, say a prayer of thanksgiving. Maybe say a prayer of repentance and say, I'm going to, I, I've got to step it up. I've got to get, uh, uh, if you were here last week and you heard that message and you didn't respond, I don't know what's going to make you respond to it today. But the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and I'll let him do, and do his own convicting and own challenging. But if you need to come back to him, then come back to him. But, the, but I, I want to kind of bring it back a little bit to what I said last week. If you've been coasting through life thinking, it's like, it's like the old joke. I, I think Pastor Mike shared it uh, recently on a Wednesday night. You know, the, the wife turns to her husband and says, eh, we've been married 20 years and you haven't, I can't remember the last time you told me you loved me. And the husband says, I told you when we got married 20 years ago, I love you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Uh, and we can't do that. We can't do that with God. It's like, I prayed a prayer of salvation and I have never, ever said, Jesus, get out of my life. And when things are rough, I'll still ask him for things. I'll still pray. But if there is nothing about your life that would let anybody else know you are a believer, I question whether you are, and I want you to question whether you are. And I want you to recognize your peril. Peter writes about this. You keep your behavior excellent among the world so that they, seeing your good works, will glorify God in the day of visitation. And I hate to be the person on the other side of that equation. 
standing before Jesus someday and saying, you know, this person was this close to making a decision for Christ, but you were the only Christian in their life, and you misrepresented. You want to make a change today? You want to tell God, oops, you know what? Thanks for loving me. Thanks for the mercy. Thanks for the patience. I'm not doing that anymore. I belong to you, and I'm going to start acting like I belong to you, and I'm going to trust you to empower me to do it. If you want to make that I'm going to pray a really quick prayer. And then if you want to make either one of those decisions, be bold enough to come up here and just let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everything you've given us, these manifold blessings that you've given us to empower us, strengthen us, to do everything you've called us to do. Thank you for clear words, clear commandments. But Lord, thank you that you haven't just left it to do it in our own strength, that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray now uh, that the Holy Spirit does what only he can do, that convict sinners of their need for Christ, convict Christians of their need for uh, a seriousness about their relationship, that we, none of us would take this for granted and assume something that's not true. Work in all of our hearts, Lord God, for your glory and our blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.